From Koningstein Road in the east to Cetus Gap in the west, an orange curtain has descended across the Ojai Valley. This is Ojai Talk of the Town. Hey everyone, Brett Bradigan, editor of your Ojai Magazines, the monthly and quarterly. In this episode, we have Nick Weissman and Kathleen Schaefer with the Ojai Film Society to talk about their summer screening series at Libby Bowl. Very exciting because we have been without a film society since 2015 or 16. So just getting back to normal is what it feels like. But stick around. It's an excellent conversation. Hey, Nick. Hey, Kathleen. Thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. Thanks for having yeah, us. Yeah, of course. Nick's an old timer. This is his second round. So the Ojai Film Society screening uh, Danny Boyle movie yesterday. Do you want to tell me about this film series and Libby Bowl? Because this is something new for us. Well, the Film Society has been around Ojai since 1988 to focus on bringing classic, independent, foreign and documentary film to the Valley. But the last few years, with everything going on, have not been watching a lot of films. So we were wanting to do, figure out a new way to bring film to Ojai, outdoors, in community, and for free. Yeah, that last part really rings a bell or strikes a chord. So... Yeah, the, I was with the Film Society for quite a while on a board, and that Sunday routine, those four o'clock Sunday afternoon screenings, art films, just going through them and helping choose those films. But for me, that exchange of coming to do tickets and doing the math in my head and trying to, you know, 200 people we'd have in the theater every week. And we kept trying to make it happen after 2014, June, when... Uh, Six-inch main burst and flooded out, and now it's still not back up and running. It's been a big hole in the middle of Ojai. Yeah, so well, it feels like you're trying to trying to backfill a little bit there. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you know, we 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 were able to kind of restart and get going. This group that has a great legacy here. We've spent you know this past summer having so many people coming up to us and having such nostalgia for the Ojai Film Society. And coming out of the pandemic, I think everybody really was craving to be together and to see things together. And we were hoping that some of our past experiences of having an outdoor screening and having something under the stars and really enjoying being together, laughing together in the cases of Summer of Soul and and, uh, Dirty Dancing, you know, singing and, you know, just really enjoying an experience. And trying to come up with almost like a, a, a date night for the town. And it, and it really yeah. has felt like these Friday night screenings has been a, an opportunity for everybody to see each other again and, you know, just put an arm around one another and watch a really special film. So, I, you know, I, I think we, this, yeah. this first series has really been to do some crowd pleasers that maybe a lot of people haven't seen yet and to really enjoy them in, in an amazing space. And then having the city be so kind to... Uh, be a partner in it and allowing us to, to share it at an incredible theater like that um, or, or, you know, the Libby Bowl. It's, it's really been quite special. Yeah. Well, the series continues, well, yesterday, this Friday, and then when's the next, what's next up? 
Uh, the next thing after that is going to be, I believe, September 9th is E.T. E.T. Uh, is that the last of the series? That's the last of this for, for now. We're, we're, yeah. we're kind of reassessing. We, we've got two down, and we had an, an incredible turnout for both of them. Um, E.T. is going to be amazing just because it's the 40th anniversary, and it's just what a wonderful thing to go back into the school year with this beautiful film outdoors for, for kids and family. Yeah. And that, one's, that one was pretty – we have a pretty big attendance already from the beginning on that one. So you feel like you've built a crowd. Or this one has its own built-in crowd. Yeah, well, and what we did the series based around the idea of summer love and music. And what so many people don't realize is, is that one of the best original scores ever written was for E.T. So the music is fabulous, along with the nostalgia for the movie. Yeah, nostalgia always sells. <laughs> and yesterday is going to be amazing because it's uh, it's... It's a film essentially about a guy that, that gets into a bike accident and he wakes up the next day and turns out that nobody ever heard of the Beatles and he happens to know all the songs so he becomes a, a worldwide singer. Yeah, he was a struggling singer-songwriter before. Yeah. He just didn't have the magic. And then he then he goes through this journey of being guilty about cheating, so to speak. He has a great show a showdown with... Uh, What's his name? The ginger Ed Sheeran mm -hmm. in the movie. That was just Ed Sheeran. He's a real. He was a really good sport to do that. Totally. Part. I mean, he's one of the biggest uh, uh, songwriters in the world. In incredible. Uh, incredible yeah. Talent. So it's a great music movie. If you love the Beatles, well, this is, you know, absolutely it. But just Danny Boyle makes these films that are so. They have a sweetness at their core that's really. You know, there's a note of human nature that we don't stop and think about, that there's a softness, but it's not weak. It's strong. When you feel that coming through this film, it's like really connects. It's a real connecting film. The experience of the Beatles with the world and how it, you know, it's great uh Fantasy, you know, every singer's songwriter's fantasy to have that that big a fan base. Yeah, it was a great movie. I love that film. So, what else going on? Well, I mean, you know, from here, it's it's um, it's kind of a, a, the the world is our oyster in some you know to some respect. I mean, I think really the the challenge this year was seeing is there an interest and there's definitely an interest we had you know i think 450 500 people for uh dirty dancing we went up to probably i don't know 5 to 700 for summer of soul it was it was pretty incredible and so from here we want to continue doing outdoor summer series and then we want to fill in the rest of the year and find smaller venues find more nuanced films because there's just there's a lot of people have asked you know what what other films are we going to show and in there are just all the films that are on the festival circuit, things that are related to either political or, or, or value-driven things. I think that Oh has a, a big heart to it, and there's a lot of topics that people want to talk about. I'm personally going to try and program as many documentaries as Kathleen will let me do. As a documentarian. <laughs> and, yeah. and, I, I, and, and then getting you know the filmmakers out here and getting people to have Yeah, just to do a little uh, panel or... Uh question and answers after the film absolutely we, yeah well, and, and we do joke about this because nick is right we we wanted to start at libby bull which is nearly a thousand seats of having films that people would easily identify with and get them coming back 
part of yeah. what we want to do is be able to have films where people can talk about what's happening in the films and what it means for them and what it means for our community. So that is very much a part of what we're looking forward to doing is this community piece is how we can talk and use yeah. it to learn and grow. Well, that's needed. This is a very cinephile city. And yeah, the uh, programming is, as like we used to think of it as the films people missed, but you know, in case you missed it, that was the idea behind these films. And there was what, five or six of us, and anybody who wanted to join in from the film society was more than welcome to. And we often did take recommendations for films out of nowhere that ended up being really amazing. I just, that whole experience of the Film Society is just like, I'm so happy you guys are bringing that back. Well, we're delighted to be doing it. And you really pick up on something that's important, which is the way we watch film has changed. There isn't any film these days, hardly, that we can't access on our phone or on a screen at home. So coming together to watch film and community is about the community experience as much as it is to watch the film. And that's why we wanted to do it in this way. Yeah, there's a, are you guys familiar with that book, A Pattern Language? Mm-mm. Christopher no. Alexander. It's a, con, it's a living document because he has, he's a professor at the University of Oregon. He brings in all his grad students for all these projects. But it's all like the 270-some timeless patterns with which people engage and you know even down to like what kind of a bachelor flat would an old widower need where he puts his newspaper here and his pipe there and so on right down to the way you design public spaces and you just look around Ojai without it being any conscious design it just just works like that and I think Libby Bowl was a conscious part of that it was a place where people come together but there's so many spaces around Ojai the number one requirement of the patterns for public spaces is people watching people that's the main thing and then to have it mediated by a movie it's like very you know the flickering campfires or you know goes right back to you know caveman days it's really primal (laughs) I just like really um, just feel people need to get on board for that yeah, well, we're hoping this is something that, that the community will continue to support. As Nick mentioned, we're looking at all kinds of venues outdoors. Ojai has a lot of great spaces, and yeah. we're going to curate films for each of those individual spaces. We've also started working with some of the restaurants in town to be, partner with us to provide some. Have a discussion space afterwards. Yeah, or a refreshment while you're watching the movie as you come. So yeah. we want this to be by, for, and with uh, the community. Yeah, there's a few things. Uh, we After the theater went out, we tried screening at Matillaha somewhat successfully. The audio system there wasn't really up to speed. I think it's been upgraded significantly, which is a big help. But is Marty Harris still involved? Marty. Marty is is what we call one of our legacy um, oh, okay. members. Yeah, he so, was the yeah, but he, he was has, the guy running around with the cables and trying to figure out what goes where and when. And you know, it was really like it get pretty pretty stressful for Marty. But he is a real trooper. Yep, he's one of the reasons we're here. We're standing on his shoulders. Yeah, tell me about the reassembling because the film society was on hiatus for five, six, seven years. 
And then how did it, what was the, how did it come back together? Like where, who were those discussions? Like how did that happen? You know, I think, uh, um, I, I believe it was Gina from the music festival that Gina Gutierrez. Yeah. Who's just a wonderful connector in town. She's just, Oh yeah. She's, she's awesome. Incredible. And I think she introduced me to Kathleen and there was not an urgency, but a really interest in trying to build this thing up and start again. And so Gino, really, that's uh, as the re- reforming uh, film society specifically, that was it, or just like oh, just we need to show some. She, Gino oh, okay. just like just send me an email, be like, you got to meet this person, you got to meet this person. Okay, because, not and, with and, any and agenda she's, in she's mind. Been right or, every time, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was something that you know I've been kind of tangentially interested in for a long time, the, the different the film festival and the film society and the playhouse, all that kind of stuff. And uh, it, it seemed like an opportunity where they they really wanted to try something new and try and refresh it. And, you know, there's there's a lot that's happened in this town in the last seven years. And there's a lot. Ooh, there's a man. There's a, a for, you know, I don't know. There's mixed opinions on like the younger community moving in and stuff, but the transplants. Well, we're all transplant, but yeah, you're right. Um, but I think that you know there. We actually, I was on your podcast talking about the Havana Libre screening. Yeah, with the social the club. documentary at uh, uh, over at Rancho. Kenny's place. Yeah, that was really fun. It was an amazing turnout, and it was really fun. And it, and I shared some of the photos from that with uh, with Kathleen and with the you know. Um, other board and and they were very excited about the idea of just getting people back together to watch movies because at the end of the day that's really what it's about and and doing yeah. it as a community and so from there we started kind of um, reassessing and thinking about what kind of team do we want to build we we brought um, Jennifer Jordan Day who's a dear friend of mine who uh, used to work uh, um, in film festivals in L.A. a bunch. Um, Why does that name sound familiar? Uh, Joel's oh Joel Joel's Fox mm-hmm. oh excellent yeah they're yeah. great. Yeah, wonderful. Great couple. Um, and yeah, then, they were uh, friends of the pod as well. Yeah. Um, and then most recently, uh, Cassie DaCosta, who was um, uh, another wonderful friend. She uh, she uh, was formerly with Vanity Fair as a film critic. Uh, and with really? Director. Wow. Um, and then if you want to talk about Erica? And sure, yep. Er- um, Erica Helson, who is uh, actually an Ojai native. Um, okay. And Ann uh, Helson's yeah. daughter, and she works in, for the county of ventura uh, doing um, solar and other renewable energy but she's joined us has been fabulous um, eileen osborne is the new treasurer who's been great and will knox who is um you know works with restaurants yeah, he's here a in town broker, real yeah. estate broker yeah, and does restaurants so he's been great with that but you know the the board that you knew and loved has has been around and has been you know kind of holding the space for many years through yeah. the water main break and the pandemic and it was the spark of nick coming at the moment when we were looking at what do we do and how yeah. do we move forward and the alchemy was right and I want to pay tribute to you know Jane Decknell, Christy Sebastian, uh, Connie Campbell, oh, yeah. Marty Harris. The usual suspects, the, the as usual, I call them. Yeah, they held the space for many years and were both strong and gracious in saying, you know, this was a time to let the film society reemerge, and they made it possible. And it, again, it was Nick Spark that allowed this to happen, and it's just been thrilling to be a part of it. Yeah, I think if you add up your collective ages you would still be younger than the typical <laughs> board members when i was I'm, no no slide it's just time for some 
more youthful energy. There was a reason I was chosen to be the one to transition. (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. And I, I do want to shout out to my wonderful wife, uh, Julia Weissman, that, that, that took on uh, rebranding and putting together a website. And, and really yeah, she's of, a, does a, she's a trooper. She does a lot of free work for people around town with design. So we'll keep that on the down low, though, because <laughs> the last thing she needs is more work. Well, we did pay her. <laughs> okay. I was, that was all, that was the, the, the uh, don't call my wife unless you pay her. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was a. We had the film society always just scraped along, but we had somebody that donated a hundred thousand dollars from their estate, which was, you know, somebody that we didn't really even know. Somebody just showed up for the Sunday screenings. So I think that's a testament to the love people have for the film society. And that love is part of what is allowing us to to start again. Is that there yeah, was there funding was there fund. and. It's given us the ability to, to do this and to be able to do it, as we talked about earlier, for free. It doesn't mean it doesn't cost. It just means yeah, that we want to, you know, do a different <clears throat> model this time around. Can I uh, put a suggestion out there? Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> you probably already thought <laughs> yeah. of that. That was a blast. Yeah. We didn't have a lot of advanced publicity. People need a year's heads up for a Rocky Horror Picture Show. But the enthusiasm, we probably had seven or 800 people, almost all of them in costume. And all of them knew all the lines. That interactive element of Rocky Horror Picture Show is yep. really fun. And there's never been anything quite like that. They used to say Moulin Rouge had that fan base, but they never really, you know, created it like Rocky Horror Picture Show. What a blast. We had costume contests and... It was just terrific, good fun. Time warp. <laughs> yeah, there's everything. It's got it all. You guys should do that. You get big, big crowds. That's we'll exciting. I mean, yeah, I think I think we we we're, we want uh, you know all suggestions and films and whatever whatever, and and uh, the outpouring from the businesses in town has been amazing. I mean, we we've just. There's a lot of support from the music festival and from, you know, just the restaurants, any way we can build on that. And then seeing everybody from town just come together is just, there's nothing like it. Yeah. Well, how did you to get in films and, you know, you've been in it for a long time, but your background isn't necessarily in the film business. So why don't you tell us about Sure. I'm I'm here because I have spent a career in politics, public policy, social impact, building nonprofit organizations. Um, I've always enjoyed film, always liked film. We're kind of living in the backyard of the film capital here. Um, so my role is to make this work as an organization, to make this you know a community yeah. asset, and to highlight the skills and the talents of people like Nick and Jennifer and others on the board that really know and understand the films. Yeah. What's your uh, favorite movie, Kathleen? And why? The favorite thing is always a little hard for me. The first one that comes up is the very first movie I ever saw in a movie theater. Don't laugh. It's The Sound of Music. No, I can see that. How old were you when you saw Sound of Music? Six. Six. That's a perfect age. Yeah. My mother took me to Mason, Michigan to go see that in the theater, and they showed it in two parts. Really? Was it that long a film? It's that long. Yep. 
Two know. reels. They had to literally change the reel. I remember those days. Yeah. Yeah. Nick probably doesn't, but. <laughs> well, what was the, what's a more, you know, like formative film that you. Really Should have prepared for this one. No, I mean, it's just conversation. You don't have to give me like. Some. I love Almost Famous. Oh, yeah. Cameron Crowe. You guys like that Great one? Film. Of course. Great film. Yeah. Just uh, the scene of Mark Maron going, lock the gates. <laughs> That's my favorite little I mean, moment because he uses that on his podcast. Yeah, you know, Tiny Dancer being sung on the bus. Oh, I mean, man. you know, that's one of the scenes that's that a always... Group of, that's a communal experience there. Not just right. for the people on the bus, but for the audience. Yeah. Yeah, really awesome film. And, like, 61% accurate. Like, he was 16 or 17 years old, Cameron Crowe, writing for Rolling Stone magazine with Ben Fong Torres as his editor. And what what an experience. Can you imagine being... 16 years old and put on a bus with... Amazing. And what was the name of the band and uh, Almost Famous? Was it Sweetwater Revival or something? Or I forget. Something I always like tried that to... wasn't that one. There was a story about who the band was, that they were a great 70s band that never quite made it. And I can't remember now which what it was, what band it was. can't remember. No. But yeah, I love that film. Okay, good. Yeah. And Nick, what's your... Favorite film? Uh, you know, there are a few of your favorite films. I have so many, but, you know, I, uh, Baz Luhrmann's um, Romeo and Juliet is like one of my Oh, yeah, favorite. that's a mm-hmm. generational yep. film. It's so just edgy and different and it's constantly entertaining and then reinvents like a, a you know, classic Shakespearean story into something that yeah, this John is... Leguizamo in it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Crazy. Well, John Leguizamo is in Moulin Rouge, too. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, Romeo and Juliet, when I saw that, I thought, wow, this is like peak Claire Danes. Like, she's never going to get better. But no, she does. She mm-hmm. continues to get better. She's really one of the greats. Yeah. But that film had some perfect notes in it, like mm-hmm. that fight scene. Or it was like. The editing is, is unbelievable. Absolutely oh, unbelievable. The camera work. Yeah, the montages in it, uh, the characters. The, the priest is an unbelievable character. I mean, it's, it's just the whole ensemble is amazing. Yeah, and there's bold and and the soundtrack. I mean, all yeah. of the soundtracks are. We actually we 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 screened uh, uh, strictly ballroom potentially for this this year's season, but we'll we'll do it at some point again. I'm sure. Yeah, have you seen Elvis? Anybody seen? I'm excited about that. I haven't seen it yet. No. no. Yeah, I've heard mixed reviews, but if it's it's uh, I'll I'll follow him into the darkness wherever he goes, just because I trust him. As a director, it's interesting how Australia is like, what, 32 million people and so many great talents have come out of there. Mm-hmm. I wonder what that's about. Is it just the scale? Like, it's so small that everybody knows everybody and that it's a, you know, a synergy that happens. Why are these, you know, Canada with music, how many great Canadian musicians and comedians. And comedians, yeah. I'm trying to think of one right off the top of my head now. A good Canadian comedian. Oh, my goodness. Michael Fox, right? Is um, uh, well, like Mike Myers. Um, oh, yeah, think, sure. I um, uh, was Canadian. Lorne Michaels. Lorne Michaels, Michaels. Yeah. yeah. Um, Did you see, um, what was that, that uh, great series, Shit's Creek? Yeah. Did you guys see that? Oh, man, yeah, yeah. that was so sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Eugene Levy. Canadian yeah. Numbers. yeah amazing 
Actually, that would be really fun. I love all the Christopher Guest movies, the best in shows, and Waiting for Guffman. Yeah. The whole crew. It'd be fun to do a couple comedies. But the, um, trying to think of the, you know, the, those communities that pop out all this great artistry. Like, uh, oh, did you see Joni Mitchell doing I've, both sides now? Like, just a very recent, like, just in the last, she couldn't even stand up. She's got health issues. But, oh, man, and her voice sounds so different now. She's got that kind of Kathleen Turner, you know, two-pack-a-day voice. But it was beautiful with, uh, I think it was Brandy Carlisle that put that together. Really beautiful. I'll put that up in the notes. I really think more people need to see Joni Mitchell doing both sides now, especially after that movie came out that caught everybody by surprise. Coda, did you guys see Coda? No, I never saw it. Coda was that. great. <clears throat> Another great film, yeah. Yeah, I could see that being a good one to screen here. It's got some sing-along moments, and it was a surprise success. Mm -hmm. It looked like a movie that you could make for a relatively modest budget, but so beautifully done and had so much heart. I thought that movie was great. And the, and the lady, she really, that, the young girl, that was her saying. Absolutely. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a good one for a smaller adult audience. Yeah. Well, I think you could probably, if you, like, really promoted it. Yeah. I don't know. I think getting some of the local people, I mean, it's, it's like one degree of separation in Ojai for everything. <clears throat> like, Morgan Neville came to town to do a screening of 20 Feet from Stardom at Libby Ball, and we really packed the place, and great exchange afterwards and he went to thatcher school so he's very connected to ojai i don't i don't know we had jason siegel come do a little talk at end of the tour which was a big moment for us because i i don't know we didn't really promote it much because we didn't know if it's going to come together and then it did was kind of last minute and then the place was packed you know how you get all stressed out, like, oh, I'm throwing a party and nobody shows up? Oh, yes. Yeah, you know that <laughs> feeling? Because sometimes you do and nobody does. That was us yeah. before Dirty Dancing. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Stressing out about how you're going to get people out. Absolutely. Well, any any <clears throat> local uh, you know, filmmakers or actors who are interested in you know participating with us, they are welcome to reach out and we'd love to figure out something to do because again this is about community and the people who live here so yeah i think those connections between people and their projects really this is a, such a showcase for it so the only like touchy issue that i wanted to touch on is the film festival and the film society because they started out as one and they bifurcated about 2002 or three not long after the film festival was started. So I won't go into all the reasons why that happened, but now that the Playhouse is getting back online, it seems like it's time, you know, there's a changeover of people, and why not put them back together under one banner? Well, your intuition is very good. We have had some of the same thoughts ourselves, and believe it or not, we are uh, going to be meeting with them very soon. Is this uh, after the festival or before? Before. Okay, because there would be chances to, you know, do a little cross promotion and just establish those relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. 
in the playhouse. Uh, David, have you David Berger? I'm a you know I'm a huge fan of David, and I'm a huge uh-huh. fan of, the, of what he's doing with the playhouse. Or is that Wayne Coyne's evil twin? That's what I call him. <laughs> 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 or maybe Wayne is the evil one. I don't know. No, but he does he, look yeah. a bit like Wayne Coyne. I've always David. Thought. David is a, he's such a smart person, and he's so ambitious, and he, he yeah he's he, got that right energy to he knows what to he do wants this. to do. Yeah, and I, I think that you know. We're we're trying to do something with an organization that's been around for a long time in this city, uh, build it back to something, and then I think when if 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 he's ready or would whatever, I want him to do what he's doing, and then I want us all to work together someday. I mean, it's it's a it's it's very exciting that there will be a, a playhouse in town again. You know, I think everybody's Man. excited for that. So yeah, since 2014. Yeah. I think anything that anybody can do to support him and, and make that all happen is just great. And, um, and we want to be there and available too. So, yeah. Well, the El Roblar hotel coming back online. Oh, it's going to be mm-hmm. wild. The whole, the whole thing would be crazy. It's going to be a vibe shift. It's going to be a vibe, but you know, we, we, we all, we're all here and we're all part of this city and we can all kind of decide what we want that to be. So, yeah, it's uh, a matter of will and design. Yeah. We got to show up and that's action. the secret. Yeah. And you up. know, that's, I mean, this is, this is why my wife and I moved here was that, you know, if you are willing to do something, you can probably do it. <laughs> you know, if you can find people yeah. to do it. Back to scale. There's no scale here. Everybody's We're excited. like a little Australia. Yeah. Yeah, there you everybody go. knows everybody. Yeah. Well, and, and I think there's a big part where, you know, the weekends, there's a lot, obviously a lot of tourism, but, you know, we, we kind of, we own Monday through Friday. So whatever, whatever we want to do with it, it's kind of up to us to just organize and make it happen. Yeah, there's so many great venues here. I saw, I think I talked to, maybe it wasn't you, but... Last round Thanksgiving, we had two of my favorite singer-songwriters just playing Ockerville River, and uh, right there at the right there at the women's club, and that space is so nice because it's all wood. It has that just warm tone to the music. Underrated venue because the last time pre-pandemic that it was like on the circuit and people were playing acts there. It was that Oxnard hardcore music. I'm sorry, I can't. Nardcore, they call it. Nardcore music. None of those bands ever blew up. But for a while, it was a developing scene. Not my kind of music, but the energy that people were bringing to it and the enthusiasm and the way they packed that place with young people every Saturday night. This is what I would like for Ojai. But not Nardcore, something, you know, more easy to listen to here here less less thrashing around i can't mosh pit like the old days anymore i'm afraid if i crowd surf people just drop me (laughs) too big so kathleen i know you you've come talk to our rotary club before um not too long ago and it was about somewhere in egypt that you were doing facilitating like right after the arab spring i did yeah how'd you get that gig i mean I was right in the thick of it. I made three trips over there after the Arab Spring. As a part of I mentioned is my work uh, helping people figure out how to lead and create democracy throughout the world. 
So I, um, between the... Yeah, good work if you can get it. Uh, good work if you can get it, and, and, and more and more needed here in uh, the U.S., uh, but was invited by the American University in Cairo to go over there and, and speak. It was a fascinating experience um, to, so to you be just, a part of that. Was it uh, work, workshops? Um, I did um, day-long seminars. The first time um, it was with people who were getting ready to run. It was the, you know, the first democratic election, so they had yeah. no idea about how um, to run or how to you know, conduct themselves in elections. Uh, the second time um, actually was dealing with um, Morsi's um, and a lot of the, the groups that had won from the Muslim Brotherhood to the Salafists. I mean, we had yeah. everything left to right, didn't know how to, to, to lead. And the final time I was there, which was actually the diciest, and um, I had that, speaking of another film, that Argo moment where he wonders yeah. if he's going to get out of the country safely. I had that moment um, because I was there when, you know, Sisi had taken over and the night he announced Abdul that he was. I've also yeah. never heard this story. <laughs> <laughs> I don't tell you all this stuff when we're at our meetings, but yeah, I didn't know if I was going to make it out, but I was, I was there doing the thing that they were arresting people. And, and now, unfortunately, yeah. if I were doing what I was doing and I was working with, you know, government, I would probably be in prison there right now. Wow. Made it out. Yeah, well, other you wouldn't be on the wouldn't get to do the podcast, and they couldn't do the po- couldn't do the film society. So here I am. Yeah, well, it's, I just like um, people love a strong man. There's just like this part of human nature that doesn't want to think about it, doesn't want to have to act, just wants somebody to tell them what to do and where to go. So can I tell you a little story that happened about that? Yeah. So you know, you can tell a female in Egypt. I had the Muslim Brotherhood. I had, you know, one of the, the leading clerics in the group. I was there for a couple of days. Um, not allowed to touch them. You know, had to stay away. I mean, it was all very, very serious. And at the end of uh, the second day, the, the leader grabbed the microphone, and we were doing simultaneous translation. And he looked at me, and he said, you know, thank you for coming here and teaching us how to work together. Yeah. And that we have up until this point thought that the only way that we could lead was by dominating each other and not working together and we see that there's a different way. Yeah. I had a well, woman. Yeah. I had a, a start small and works its well, way. Well, and that's it. You know, a woman in the burqa who, you know, couldn't see anything other than her eyes came up, took her glove off and shook my hand and she said I used to hate Americans until I met you. So well, they haven't met me, so maybe they go back to hating them then. <laughs> but I believe in the power of a single act. And even though things have shifted in Egypt, there are a lot of people there who care very much about seeing democracy. And I feel the same yeah. way about things here. It's once we realize we share so much more in common than we do our differences, things change. Well, you very optimistic. I am. Them. Well, it's why we're doing this is, is yeah. because we believe film brings people together. It does, yeah. It is a very primal experience, this Flicker and images, really. There's, uh, have you guys seen those? Speaking of Egypt and the Muslim Brotherhood, have you guys seen any of those Adam Curtis documentaries? You know, I, I, I need to. I've, there's a lot I've of heard them referenced a few times. There's some baggage yeah. that goes with that, but for me, it's about being able to make these amazing films just with found footage and archival footage. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't do any shooting; he just gets a. He used to work for the BBC. He knows how to sort through the archives. And then he just puts his 
narration on it and brings this point of view to it. But I feel like the insights into human nature, mostly dark, not all dark, are really part of what it is that makes film so exciting. It's just a great way, you know, the pedagogy of, of films is really important. You can learn more from watching a two-hour film than you can pounding through a textbook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, put you in that experience. Yeah. It's lived experience. Almost. It's like the closest thing, I think. Yeah. It's a great art form. It's one art form that Americans have really excelled at. Filmmaking and jazz. There you go. That's about all we have. One of our biggest exports. Yeah. Speaking of which, there's a great article in the New Yorker. This is a bit off topic, but talking about, you know, democracy and fascism and so forth. And the um, stories about Josephine Baker and her. It's a biography that came out. It's like a book review. But so much I didn't know. You know, she was always like code switching, you know to be different things for different audiences. But when she blew up in France in the 30s, you know, she'd do these amazing dances, like the athletic contortion of it. Nobody could even come close. But they would have shadows, you know, the shadow play, you know, behind her, you know, the backlit. So when she had a, um, you know, she'd stop and then the shadow would continue. And it was just like engrossing. But she had this great um, role in building the intelligence networks in Vichy, France. I knew nothing about that. Hmm. You know the expression, hide in plain sight? Hmm. That's like the perfect example. Because she was building up the infrastructure of intelligence networks because they didn't know where the Germans had their bases or how many troops were being moved from here to there or how it even worked. Because it all got rolled up when they invaded and uh, you know, really quick time. So she was key because she got to travel around because she was a huge celebrity. But while she'd get to a train station and the crowds would besiege her, the, her boyfriend slash you know, contact would be steamer trunks full of documents going out the back. Like, wow. It was a really, really great story. So, um, yeah, what else is going on? Sorry to get it off topic. Now, Nick, you've been in films for a long time, and you came on to talk about Havana Libre, but mm-hmm. what's what's next for you? Are you you're, we, you're a producer as well as doing the shooting. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, uh, we're in the middle of filming, or we're just about to deliver a three-part um, uh, environmental series called The Week, which is about people's shared experience with climate change and kind of about our own kind of personal climate denial on a certain level. Yeah. And it's told through four characters in the U S and four characters in Europe. And the, the idea is that you watch the over a week. So there's three episodes and you have a discussion after the end of it, but it's a lot of like very, very intense realities that we're all kind of dealing with, you know, water issues here, fires, all that kind of stuff. So we're finishing up that series now, and then we are working on a film called Row of Life, which is about a, a paraplegic woman that attempted to row from L.A. to Hawaii. Wow. And it's, uh, it's a wild film. She, she had 14 Guinness World Records, and she'd circumnavigated Britain, and she'd crossed the Atlantic Ocean. And so this was her big solo journey to, 
to go to Hawaii. And uh, uh, fascinating how people get driven like that. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I won't tell you too much about it, but it's a it's a, it's a good one, and that'll be that'll that be does sound good. Finished early next year. And Kathleen, any projects you got going on? Well, I was going to say I. A lot of my work is kind of taking the issues that Nick is bringing forward in film and working with people in government, philanthropy, nonprofit, and how do we actually create and implement the solutions to addressing that? Yeah, how do we? <laughs> I'd like to know. I mean, Sum it up for us. Well. A big thing is, is uh, you know, Im- impact is a huge part of the documentary documentary industry. And uh, on previous films that I've done, I filmed for Akeem a few years ago, which was about the juvenile justice system in St. Louis. Yeah. We, we, you know, raised a small amount of money. It was, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, like 50000 for an impact campaign. But that, uh, we worked with an organization called Picture Motion that put it into 100 different schools all around the country. And then mm. they put it on a, a basically like a, a seminar with 100 judges that were all justice a hundred judges yeah it was a conference and it was part of that conference was to watch this film so and then taking it to dc were you there for any of the discussions that the judges had it because i wonder what their take on it would be yeah some of the you know it's systemic problems everybody kind of knows about (laughs) so it's it's it becomes a something undeniable after you've watched an hour and a half film that really points right at the problem but but that you know that uh to see, I mean, the mayor of St. Louis came to our premiere, you know, nice. and, and seeing all of that happen in one place. Well, that's where, it, you know, Michael Brown and... Well, right, we were there the day that... Black Lives Matter, yeah. that's where it really yeah. started. Yeah, but, it, you know, impact is... is, uh, is it, it carries it forward from just being something you passively watch and it makes something you actually actively, Can do. actually have to deal with, yeah. Yeah, a call to action. Yeah, and I think that'll be... You know, part of the film society over the next year is really just, you know, we have real issues here, you know, whether it be with oil industry stuff or, you know, uh, water issues or fires. You know, these are, you know, we did a film called We the Power from Patagonia um, a year and a half ago that was about energy cooperatives in Europe. Like, basically, mm. you know, there's a world where OHI could be on its own microgrid. Yeah, I'm a big our, fan of microgrids. It's an yeah. incredible thing. And and those kind of conversations, same thing with public lands. My, uh, one of my partners did a film for Patagonia about um, called Public Trust that was all about public lands. And and, yeah. and so I think, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, what is it, lights the best disinfectant or whatever. It's like if you... Sunshine. Sunshine. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think going back to the virtual virtues and values of this town is as long as you create a space for people to talk about them, there's an opportunity to, pro- to progress. Actually get some stuff done. Are you familiar with Will McCaskill and effective altruism? No. About the very, it's very nerdy, but it's about where can you give that has the most real world effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, maybe, um, you gotta, you gotta check this out, Will McCaskill. He does a lot of podcasts and stuff. But it's like Malaria Foundation was where he was giving money because for, you know, thirty-seven cents each, they can get a mosquito net, and you know the quality of life that goes up as a result of that is a phenomenal return on your investment. But they live very modestly. These effective altruists. It's a very tight club, and they donate. You know, he lives on like 27,000 pounds a year, which isn't really that tight. There's plenty to get by on less than that. 
but all of his earnings, which are prodigious, go to, you know, causes where he can really have a measurable impact on a global level. And it's, it's just like su- surprising the ways that people can have a very powerful impact in ways they wouldn't even think of. And it goes, you know, the trolley problem about, Mm -hmm. you know, do you save the one person or do you save the five that may? And, you know, it's like if you saw a child drowning, would you just let him drown just because he happens to be on the other side of the globe? Does that reflect your values, really? You know, there's a lot of that moral, you know, moral quandaries that go into that. Part of what's really great about, you know, I I mean, big fan of the town, <laughs> but, but, you know, the thing about OI is that, you know, people do show up, you know, and do mm-hmm. have a perspective and, and things can improve and they're always improving. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think there's, there's a lot that we can achieve by, by having those conversations here. Yeah. I can see the nonprofit groups having a, a, uh, sponsoring or a hosting of, films that relate to their particular issues as a way to get, you know, people to, you know, hand out the pledge envelopes or the volunteer sign-ups and, you know, like the Land Conservancy. If you guys have never done this, it's really a great way to feel part of it is to do trail work or, you know, weed eradication, non-natives. And, you know, you go out there, you work for half a day, it's good, hard, honest work, and you feel like you know, there's something you can actually see when you're out on the trail that you help build or repair. And that's uh, really like, this is a really awesome town. Yeah, it's important for people to be out and be engaged in all kinds of change. And it's important for the organizations that, that you know, make that possible to be run as most effectively as they can be. So, agreed. Yeah. The, what is it, how many, 190 501c3s in Ohio, or they filed the 990, which if you really want to know how much the executive director makes or how much staff they have or whether your money, you got to go stalk the 990s. I'm trying to remember the name of the Guide Star or something like that. Charity Network. and Yeah, Yeah, it's like unbelievable that 501c3s in Ohio. It was like this Dr. Lori Marker. I need to get, get her on the podcast. She only comes to Ohio like once a year because she has friends here or something. But Ohio is their headquarters for the Cheetah Foundation, hmm. preserving cheetahs in Namibia, mostly educating farmers when they have depredation that there's other ways to handle it. And they don't have to kill these cheetahs because they're really on the verge of extinction, these magnificent beasts. I wouldn't think of Ohio as a place where you know, the cheetahs are going to be saved or rescued, but we are. Yeah. Uh, anything else going on? I mean, like, I'd really like to know what you're going to do, you know, schedule-wise, like when the playhouse gets back open or you say you're going to look for other venues. I, I think we're going to regroup after these first four. We might add a couple more going into the fall. That's um, yeah, one thing about Ojai is the weather. Yeah. You can take advantage of that. And even if people have to get, you know, bring a blanket or a couple sweaters, 
think they still yeah. still do that. There's plenty of opportunity, especially the light's going to get better for us and help us with the 10 o'clock sound ordinance that yeah. we're going to be able to screen more films. Again, they'll probably be in venues that are smaller. We may do a couple more at Libby Bowl. We'll talk to the city about that. Um, but you will see more films from the Film Society yet this year. Awesome. I think that's a good place to close out. Anything else? We're delighted no? that you. you took time to talk of, with us of today. Of course. Um, Film Society is very near and dear to my heart. Hey, everyone. Brett Bradigan here, just thinking out loud. I hope that you got some insight into the amount of effort and energy people are putting into making things happen in Ojai. Because the quality of life in this town, and I've lived in small towns all my life, you're not going to find anything even close to it. So let's take a moment and reflect on, with hopefully some gratitude, for what a remarkable place it is we call home. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you.